there's this idea in the parenting world now that like we're just supposed to be regulated all the time and we aren't. No human is. And it's going to ebb and flow and you're not failing if you're experiencing feelings or reactions to any human around you or anything around you, including your child. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 374. Today, we're talking about helping your child regulate their feelings with Alyssa Blask-Campbell. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome to back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you're here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And if you've ever gotten anything from this podcast, and I know you're going to today, please do me a favor, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow. It just takes 30 seconds and it makes such a huge difference. I greatly, greatly appreciated. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Alyssa Blask Campbell, the founder and CEO of Seed and Sow, an organization committed to giving parents, teachers, and caregivers the tools to raise emotionally intelligent humans. That's what we want, right? She's an emotional development expert with a master's degree in early education. Alyssa co-created the collaborative emotion processing method with Lauren Staubel and researched it across the United States. She hosts the Voices of Your Village podcast. This is a fascinating episode. You're going to learn so much because we're going to talk about that emotional regulation piece, which is so important. And we talk about how birth to age five is when children form 90% of their brain and the foundation of their emotional intelligence in those years, how it can have an outsized impact on the rest of their development. So we're going to talk about what we should expect for emotional regulation. We're going to talk about how we're not supposed to be regulated all the time and our kids aren't either. And the phases of emotional processing. This is going to be such a valuable episode. I know you are going to love it. So let's dive in with Alyssa Blask Campbell. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. 
Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. doing with seed and sow. I love the, you know, all of these tools for emotional development and and helping people understand kids' emotional development more logically. I feel like we have I feel like we're like almost like handicapped in our culture by this like these ideas that we have that like kids have a lot more emotional control than they actually do have and so we don't realize that like like I was just saying like like you know kids are just naturally like they're messy they're aggressive they're like wild and crazy they're they can't control their feelings like they they don't you know they can't they can't control their actions that well they can't control their feelings that well they kind of go from like babies where we're like oh we have to do everything to them and then suddenly they're toddlers and we're like you should be able to get it together, kid. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, is that, do you see that as kind of like the overarching idea that we have, like at least in the U.S. as far as our, the way we look at kids? Totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was interesting. So I co-created this collaborative emotion processing method, researched it with a colleague, and we have a book coming out on it next year. And it, when we were doing the research, one of the things that was so interesting was that the approach to infants and toddlers was almost like very low expectations yeah we don't expect them to have a lot of these skills and almost to the point where like we should expect a little more they do understand more than we give them credit for and they can build more skills earlier than we often give them credit for but then they hit a certain age and for a lot of people we've noticed it's about three Mm -hmm. where we want them to have these skills now and we didn't teach them to them (laughs) but we just expect that by the time you're three now you'll have all of these social skills and empathy skills and regulation skills and all that jazz that we may not have laid the foundation for them to have Uh, but like almost like too high of expectations for three-year-olds four-year-olds five-year-olds six-year-olds beyond and too low earlier and you know you're saying that we expect kids to have like certain level of self-control often that they don't have. And it's so interesting because when we pause and think, and I'll I'll ask parents, like what happens for you when you're angry? Like what, how do you express when you're angry? So that we're not just telling kids what they can't do, but that we start to talk about what they can do and model that and et cetera. And how many of us aren't doing this in our everyday life, but then expected of a kid Yes. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. Exactly, <Exactamundo. laughs> No kidding. Yeah, I know. We can't, 
yeah, we almost like, I mean, it's so crazy. Like we're, we're like, you, you will control your feelings so that I feel better, you know, and yeah. I don't lose it. My cool. Right. Like it's just such a backwards way of doing it because we're the ones with the fully developed prefrontal cortex, which is like the inhibitor inhibitory part of our brain. Right. Like they have like, much less a chance and and we but that is the that is the the kind of we don't realize it but that is kind of the message that we send so often yeah and we say a lot at seed that it's not a child's job to get calm for us it's our job to get calm for them and if we feel like we don't have the tools to get calm for them in the moment we definitely can't expect them to get calm for us yeah yeah exactly exactly i'm so with you on all of that um, so we're here, we are here to talk about like zero to five little kids, some of the things we should expect developmentally from little kids, some of the ways we can support, you know, little kids. I'll just call them little kids because I think that's better and funner than saying zero to five. <laughs> but I'm curious about you. What, what, so you now, you have a 14 month old, but you've been studying this and, and for years, what made you so, you personally so fascinated in little kids? Kids. like were you like I'm gonna make can I make like an armchair guess yeah go ahead yeah yeah this will be fun okay so <laughs> <laughs> if I had to tell the story about what it was I would maybe think like maybe like you were like an oldest child who had to like maybe take care of younger children in the family situation and got really fascinated by it I'm totally way off Tell Hunter this is, is so fun I love this no keep it going <laughs> Maybe I, I my guess is like you are not an only child. Anyway, I am not an only child. Okay, that is correct. Right, I got one thing. Right. Yeah. Do you want to keep guessing? Because no, I'm no. loving this. <laughs> no, no, no. Tell me the truth. Okay. <laughs> Before I dig I myself in too far. I am one of five, but I'm number oh. four of five. Um, oh. So I have three older brothers, one younger brother. I grew up in the village, like. It, truly, like in the village, like I grew up the in a village small in New farm York City? town. Oh no, no okay, like, like, the like the village in the <laughs> okay. sense of like it takes a village to raise yeah, kids, yeah. Okay, and everyone good. now we're like, okay, but where's that village? Um, I really grew up in the village in that sense. Uh, it was a small farm town in western New York, and a low-income town, and everybody really like pitched in to do life. And I got my mm. corn from Allie Ty's farm down the road. Like, I started watching people's kids. My mom ran a home daycare that was, like, unlicensed, unregulated. Basically, to be a stay-at-home mom, she watched other people's kids. And so as long as I can remember, there were a million kids around. And I would come home from school to kids. And I remember being, like, in probably fourth grade and came home on a half day of school and my mom had kids there that she was watching and there was this baby and I picked him up and was talking to him like holding him above my head and he I didn't know he just had a bottle spit up oh, into no. my mouth Ew. um oh, yeah but like this is just like and I was in like fourth grade right and like these are just it's just been my life like I've been mm. around kids my whole life I there's not a picture of me as a child above the age of like three where I'm not carrying a chi another child around mm. uh, to the point where I'm like maybe somebody should have been like you're five and that's a newborn <laughs> and I'm nervous uh, <laughs> but yeah no you're it's like just now truly... that I know what I know about five-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> like should I be carrying that newborn um 
Yeah, I, it's just truly been always a part of my life, being, a, being in a big family, but more so just being in a community where everyone really pitched in. I was 12 when I started babysitting and like by 16 was like driving three kids in my car and like always had a car seat that was in my car and yeah, it's just really been in my life always mm -hmm. and um, went to college and got a nanny job while I was at college. It's, I can't, just the idea of not being around young kids doesn't make sense to me. That's that's amazing. Yeah, um, it, it's almost it almost sounds like what you're describing is almost like you know I was talking to Michaeline Duclef about the I think it's the Harari people and they're like a hunter gatherer tribe in um, I forget what part of uh, the continent of Africa was, but like yeah, like little kids, like small kids are carrying babies and everybody's pitching in, you know, and that is. And it's so interesting to think about because we have this idea of, you know, like that we should be able to do everything on our own and all of this thing. And that is not how humans evolved to be. You know, we are, are we're born so premature compared to every other animal species. We're born so helpless. Like the only possible way it was possible for us to like raise these helpless children that needed so many hours and hours and years and years of care was if there were a lot of people around helping do it right and and so no wonder we feel like we're failing when we're all by ourselves yeah we're not meant to do all of this by ourselves oh, or no. even like most of it yeah. um and yeah no I, I and I so I truly just like was raised in that village sense um and have been around kids forever and then also had my own journey with emotional development specifically and as my journey with emotional development was unfolding, I experienced some trauma as a teen and then like navigating that aftermath and what did that look like for years to come and how did it show up in my life? And what was the difference between that and other hard experiences that I'd had? And like, as I started to uncover all of that in uh, late teens, early twenties in therapy, realized like so much of what I was doing was part of the foundations in early childhood that we were, I was teaching at the time in early childhood and my master's is in early ed and realized like, oh, these are all things that I'm now doing with kids that I didn't get as a kid growing up. That like mm. there were parts of this, uh, we've evolved so much in our research around emotional development has changed vastly in the last 20 to 30 years. We, um, we, ha we know so much more in the same way that like the car seat that I was in as a child is not the car seat that my child is now in 30 mm -hmm. some years later. Like that has evolved. Thank goodness. Because I don't know if you have any childhood pictures, but it's like basically a bucket with a strap a bucket, yeah. and <laughs> right. Like it is a little rough looking, like I'm glad I made it, but that has evolved and so should our emotional development. So should the way that we are looking at how kids learn and grow and develop and our research has evolved and so now our practices are evolving. All that to say well, that like my parents did the best they could with what yes. they have and now I have a set of tools through my education that I was learning and I was like, oh, this is different than what I grew up with um, and just started to kind of make that connection. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. 
This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So what did you see like when you were doing this research and stuff that you didn't get as a kid and and this is of course not to knock your parents because we don't no. <laughs> you know they were in a different time and they don't know these things and they were carrying on what people had done before so what but totally. what did you not get as a kid that you discovered that kids need yeah so I have incredible parents as yeah. and they're so far from perfect right like all of us as humans um and I'm super grateful for them as like a caveat. And yes, I didn't grow up in what we would call a secure attachment relationship. I grew up in a household where um, there were terms like dramatic or emotional were applied when I was having a hard emotion. Mm. And I was allowed to have it, but I was expected to have it like in my room and then I could come on out. And we could talk about oh, what we ditto. were going to do next. Ditto. Too, too sensitive. Right? Too sensitive. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, was me. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I was allowed to have them. It just wasn't something they were going to be privy to or around. They were ready to talk about the problem solving, the conflict resolution part when I was ready for that. And I could take my time having a hard emotion. I just was going to do it in my bedroom. Um, or I was going to be removed to the car if we were at like a public thing or et cetera. Um, and there was no discussion around coping for processing experiences, um, because they weren't a part of the emotional expression. They were there for the problem solving, the conflict resolution. I, Develop. So when we're lo- part of our method, it involves the phases of emotion processing, and there are five of them. And the very last one is problem solving or conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And the first four 
are about connecting with the child and helping them feel safe and seen, which then allows their nervous system to calm so that they can access problem-solving, conflict res, empathy, etc. Um, and in those first four phases, my parents' number one was allow. They would allow me to have it, so they did that one. Number two is the recognition of the perceived emotion. So this would be like... Acknowledging the the emotion that they're having or that they we think that they're having like oh you were working so hard on that and it crashed it's so frustrating just validating and connecting over that experience and what they're experiencing so i didn't necessarily have that part mm -hmm. and then security in the feelings recognizing that it's okay and safe to feel this because it won't last forever that um, all feelings are temporary. And this is where we see anxiety. When we don't have security in our feelings, we are often trying to run or to-do list our mm -hmm. way out of it or mm -hmm. make it go away as fast as possible. And then it really is just like quicksand where you just get deeper and deeper. It takes a hole there. Um, and then the the fourth phase is coping. And there are two different types of coping. We have coping mechanisms and coping strategies. And coping mechanisms are what we will automatically develop and turn to to make it stop as fast as possible it's what our body's designed to do to make it stop to have temporary relief often turning to something that's going to elicit dopamine that reward center of our brain chocolate so now it might chocolate yeah chocolate's <laughs> a great one chocolate food in general but chocolate has a decent amount of dopamine so if you're looking for a dopamine hit it's a great turn um screens distraction ignoring it like just trying to distract yourself and move on um my biggest dopamine hitter is shopping i can fill shopping. a cart like it's nobody's business i don't even have to check out i could just fill that cart like there's no tomorrow. Um, for some folks, it could be substance abuse or use. Um, and anyway, so as a kid, it's often distractions, our biggest one that we turn to, or screens, mm -hmm. where we will try and just like distract them out of it um, or use a, use a screen to get that dopamine. And then coping strategies are going to produce serotonin or oxytocin. So oxytocin being that like love, feel-good hormone, serotonin calming the nervous system. And these, it, you'll often feel that uh, emotion or you'll have the experience, the nervous system experience for a little bit longer. Dopamine has a faster reaction. So like you can numb it pretty quickly with dopamine um, or the coping mechanism versus the coping strategy might take a minute longer. You might be in that feeling and then you start to feel some relief. So this could be taking deep breaths. It can be moving your body with young kids. It can be like doing big jumps or jumping into a pillow pile or I'll do like a race with kids sometimes like, oh, I'm not ready to figure this out yet. Let's see how many frog jumps it takes us to get to the bathroom door and back. I bet we can do it in 10. What do you think? And then we're going to move our bodies and move that cortisol or adrenaline. And then once we're calm, then we move on to that like problem solving, conflict resolution, etc. cetera. Um, and the other uh, form of moving your body would be vestibular input, which is that like swinging, going upside down, moving the plane of your head. Mm -hmm. um, so big body moving the plane of your head um, or like taking deep breaths, having some sensory deprivation or down regulation removing yourself having quiet I never space. oh I, nice. I always touch my toes it's like never thought of it as like a vestibular thing but like I always think of it kind of like sort of in the I guess the yoga terms of like like a folding forward is like a calming method you know like mm. it's like and it, I just to me it feels like like a release like stuff falling out of my head 
<laughs> yeah, no, I love that. It, that's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah, and so as a kid, I wasn't given coping strategies. I wasn't yeah. told, like, here are things you can do to calm your nervous system so that we can talk about problem solving. It was just like, yeah, go, and when you're ready, here's where I'll be. Yeah, um, I don't think any of us were. Like, it's generally <laughs> generationally, like, none of us were. And, you know, we still have some major people like on TV who are saying, kid, go by yourself and just calm down, like without any strategies. Right. It's like, it's frustrating to see. So frustrating. And yeah, I guess like it's triggering for me because I'm like, no, I know what that looks like down the road and you have to build all these tools as an adult and you end up just numbing through emotions in your teens, Alyssa. Um, And so like, as I was doing that work on myself and realizing those things, I was like, oh, like, this is what that is. Like, this is how this plays out down the road. These are different ways it shows up. And I was just talking to a friend the other day and uh, was saying that I so often when I like see adults or older kids, teens, et cetera, and adolescents, I can see them as a two-year-old. Like, I mm. know, I'm like, oh, I know what that looks like, that habit or that pattern. I know how that shows up in infancy and toddlerhood and preschool and um, it it's so interesting like now seeing like even my own habits I'm like yep and I know what that looks like when they are young I was just consulting with a teacher the other day who's been in the field for 30 years in early childhood and she was asking about this um, we have a, a professional development program for teachers we support teachers with this work and she was asking about a, a kid in her class she was like I've just never seen this profile before like this is so new and her the kid's like three or four right now and I was like is this how it showed up in infancy and in toddlerhood etc did you see these behaviors and she was like nail on the head just so clear to me of like oh that because it's the same route they just show up in different ways down the road when you don't have these tools that's so fascinating and I'm sure you can see I mean as I can see like as you look into like I mean I look into like a lot of the problems in the world, right? And I look at all the challenges. I look at the leaders who have issues and all of these things. And I think of all of these challenges with like aggressive responses and anger and and all of these things. And I think these are all people who just don't know how to process their feelings. Like they weren't taught how to process a feeling like frustration or anger and it's it's this acting out on this thing and it's it's really I feel like the lack of being able to being able to process and understand and take care of our feelings is basically at the root of like almost everything (laughs) I look at that I'm like there's an oh and or or conflict resolution too but anyway but being able to process feelings generally is at the root of of everything I'm sure you see that as you look into Uh, all the time it's like a joke in my household where like anytime something happens I'm like oh I wish I had them as a toddler like I wish (laughs) I wish I could have worked with them and this is important like you're talking about toddlers this is important because the ages zero to five are really important for kids right like this tell us about I mean because and and I feel a little funny about bringing this up because sometimes I felt like or especially as a parent as an especially when I was an a unskillful parent of like a zero to three-year-old I felt like oh my god it's so much pressure to put on people who are brand new to this job your life has been turned upside down you're like healing physically everything's different the world is upside down and you have the responsibility of somebody's future like mental health in your hands it's like oh my god it's like so much pressure 
But at the same time, so we should understand, like, as we go into this conversation, I guess, so for you, dear listener, parent of a small child, that we're going to talk about that, how this is an important time. And I want you to know that that the brain is plastic and kids grow and change and learn all the time. Adults grow and change and learn. Nothing is set in stone. So that's my caveat to this conversation because we get so paralyzed by anxiety to be to be doing it right that it leads us to be unskillful because we're so like anxious about things you know um so but with that said tell us about how important (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean so yeah it's wicked important and i've never oh i love wait 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 I love that. I heard it come like, out of my mouth too. No, it's so great because I grew up in Rhode Island and now I live in Delaware and no one says anything is wicked anything anymore. And they all look at me. If I ask for a bubbler, no one knows what I'm talking about. And to say something is wicked important. I'm just like, you've made my day, Alyssa. You have no idea. Hunter, I'm glad I could give you that gift. Um, I heard it come out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, that's going to make me, like, in a certain region. Um, I I do live in Vermont. Um, It is wicked important. Uh, And I've never left a single day as a parent, as a teacher, as a human with a master's in this and who's done research in it and been in it for so long. I've never left a day and been like, I was perfect today. It's not real and it's not the goal. And as long as that is our goal, we are going to feel like we're failing each day. So to yeah, start there, that there is no perfection. Perfect. No. And yes. it, it, it doesn't have to be. Like, it's not like, oh, well, that is really the goal. We're just not reaching it. No, it truly doesn't have to be the goal. Um, it's not my goal for the days. In fact, if I was, quote, perfect each day, for me, perfection would look like I am feeling triggered by things. I'm feeling hard feelings and I'm acknowledging them and I'm tapping into tools to show my child that it's not their job to get calm for me, that I will get calm and Mm -hmm. be a leader here and that I do have feelings and I experience feelings and I lose my cool sometimes and I'm going to own that responsibility so that then I can show up for them. It doesn't mean that they do something super annoying or triggering and I'm just like, oh yeah, I don't have a feeling about that. Um, So just as a starter for folks tuning in, I think there's this idea in the parenting world now that like, We're just supposed to be regulated all the time, and we aren't. No human is. And it's going to ebb and flow, and you're not failing if you're experiencing feelings or reactions to any human around you or anything around you, including your child. Um, So that little disclaimer. It is important because... We form 90% of the brain in the first five years, 80% of that in the first three. And what we mean by that is that, you know how when like a baby comes out a year later, if you look in like a time hop photos of like that child a year ago, or you go from like one to two, 
you're like, wow, it's a vastly different child with hugely different skill sets. Like Mm -hmm. when this child was born, they could do almost nothing. They couldn't move their body. They, if they were left by themselves, they would die. Mm-hmm. And then by one, they, for the most part, can move around a little bit. They can eat some food. They're starting to talk and communicate in different ways. Like, and then we just continue to see that progression of like skills. Like, If I think of the things that I gained in the last year, the new skills that I built, it's like not even close to the new skills that my child built in the last year yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of how different our skill set is a year later. So the brain is learning so much. It's taking in this whole world and learning all these different skills for how to move their bodies, how to function in the world, how to stay alive in the world, um, how to communicate, how to eat, what it looks like to, yeah, like move, like basic functions um, are happening. And then we, when we're looking at like sending a kid off to kindergarten if your kid goes to school at five we're saying a lot of those foundations for existing in the world have been formed and now we're going to work on fine-tuning those systems and adding content and things like your abcs or your name or your colors or shapes or whatever it's why like i don't care at all if a child knows those things in these early years because they can absorb any content that comes their way if they have all these other foundational skills for how to move through the world first. And so what we are looking at when we're looking at that 90%, I want to help make sure that their motor development is going to serve them, that they can move their bodies in a way that is helpful for their nervous system um, and that will be helpful for them to navigate the world. I want to make sure that their language and communication uh, skills are going to serve them so that they know how to ask for what they need, that they know how to enter into a social group, that they know how to advocate for themselves in different scenarios. Um, I am looking at their nervous system regulation is my most important probably of like what is happening in my body. You were talking about adults not having these tools for emotion processing and I would even go one step back and say that so many adults don't have tools to recognize what's happening in their body that until they're exploding and then looking back on right like Mm -hmm. reflective practice is a great tool and what we want to start to build is what is happening in my body when it's happening or when it's building or I just felt that rush of cortisol or adrenaline where do I feel it in my body how does that show up and when we're working with kids in this We have kids who can start to notice this when we're consistently working with them in toddlerhood where they can squeeze their fists and let them go because we've acknowledged like, oh, I see that you're frustrated. Your hands are so tight and your shoulders are up to your ears and your voice is getting so loud. Gosh, you sound frustrated. I'm going to squeeze my fists with you and let them go and bring my shoulders up to my ears and let them go. And like helping them build that body awareness of what's happening in my body. And then the tools for how do I regulate it? How do I calm it? When we are sending kids into kindergarten, they can have a lot of tools for self-control. But the foundations for self-control are self-regulation and self-awareness. You can't regulate what you're not aware of. And you can't be in control of a body that's dysregulated. 
And so what we're focused on with emotion processing and emotional regulation is first going to start with that nervous system regulation. Um, mm-hmm. And it really, really just begins. So when parents are tuning in, if they're like, where do I start? Start by acknowledging what you see mm-hmm. happening in their bodies, whether they are an infant, a toddler, a three-year-old, a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. showing them what's happening in their body starts by us acknowledging that and helping them start to tune into like oh in the same way that if we said you have butterflies in your stomach we know oh Mm -hmm. that feeling and you know I'm feeling nervous or excited starting to help them build language around what that looks like for different emotions what does it feel like in your body when you feel frustrated or when you feel embarrassed or when you feel sad or disappointed or excited or happy Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. left out how does that feel in your body? Um, and starting to help them tune into that. That's what I'm looking at in that 90% early years component. Yeah, because if we can do that, we can have the do awareness. We can, <laughs> can I know, it's, it's really is the foundation of everything. And it's so mind-boggling to think about this because it was something that we were completely blocked from talking about for how I, at least in the Western culture that you know, led to the United States millennia, I'm sure, you know, and, and, and it's so essential. It, it's interesting. It's like, I feel like this, our sort of emphasis on sort of like our mind states and our, our, you know, the stories that are in our head and, and cognition has led to this kind of blocking of this understanding of being in our body, that we are an embodied people, and that that blocking has led to just so many problems and all of these things that we have to relearn as adults. I mean, that's what we work on all the time in mindful parenting is like being being aware of the sensations in our body, being aware of our feelings, acknowledging our feelings, right? Doing all of these things so that if we can do it in ourselves as parents, then we can we can also do it for our kids and that that modeling of just, you know, I'm feeling X right now. I mean, that's it's it it's interesting as we talk about it because it sounds to me at this point in my life like so simple. But it's something that just is not has not been in bedded in the culture that we are, I mean, I guess you and, and, and I like, and many people are working on bringing back into the culture, but it's still not terribly mainstream yet. It's so fascinating. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. 
Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yeah, and I think we bring a lot of stories, and we see this a lot in work with parents around if I'm helping them calm their body, am I telling them they need to stop expressing? Like, am I trying to make Mm. this emotion stop and not letting them feel And I think there needs to be a conversation around the nervous system regulation versus emotional regulation and that Mm. they're different. When we're looking at those first four phases of emotion processing, we're looking Mm -hmm. at nervous system regulation. You are going to still feel afterwards. So you're going to have the emotion. If I'm feeling sad about something, me building awareness of that like brain hijack where I don't have access to my prefrontal cortex and Mm -hmm. I'm in that feelings part of my body and my brain and regulating that so that I can regain access to my prefrontal cortex doesn't take the sad away. Mm -hmm. So after we calm our nervous system, after we calm our bodies, we'll still experience the feeling. And that's where I think like Mm. a lot of folks, there's like hang up around this of, A, am I like rushing the emotion away if I help them tune into their body and calm if there's this emphasis on Mm. like feeling calm or feeling safe? But also then afterwards recognizing that like once they're calm, our work isn't done. Now they have access to their whole brain. Now they're in a space to do the emotion processing work. Mm. Uh, It's not just the nervous system regulation. It's then the emotional work around all right, now you experience this feeling, you experienced sad or you were experiencing disappointment or embarrassment and let's dive into that now. Now we go into that part. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you're saying like let's, you know, what the ner- nervous system hijack leaves us no like cognitive, you know, no ability for sort of like the upper brain for the lack of a better word to mm-hmm. process everything. When, when we can you know, get out of nervous system hijack, then we're able to then kind of process with our cognitive brain with those things. I mean, it's interesting. I would love to have someone like Lisa Feldman Barrett in on this conversation right now to say, because she talks about sort of that, uh, that, that, that graph with the different vectors of like, you know, (laughs) you know, intense, you know, feeling intensely and positive and versus negative uh, affect of the feelings and, and sort of like a lot of sensation versus like slow down sensation. Um, so it's interesting to think about that because like in a way, like the feelings are, 
these terms, like these almost cognitive terms that we're putting on, we're going really deep into this, it's probably more than we need to go, but I think it's interesting. It's almost like these cognitive terms that we're putting on these, the, these sensations, whereas you could just say, I have a, a really intense sensation and it's negative feeling, right? Like, it's interesting. Yeah, it feels to, hard. To cons yeah. consider that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, but I just think that, like, that's the yeah. biggest hang-up that we see in this work. Mm. And, um, and that I notice when people are trying to implement it, that, like, my kids are fighting over something and I step in and, and try and help them. I'm jumping to phase five problem solving. Mm. They're not ready for it, right? Like, yeah, they're, yeah. everybody's yeah, yeah. dysregulated. But we yeah. jump in and we're like, okay, like, here, let's talk about it. You can, how does this feel? You can have a turn first and then you can go. And then they're still yelling at each other and nobody likes that suggestion and whatever. It's and it's mess, this ongoing, yeah. yeah, mess of, because nobody's ready for that yet. And we jump to the emotion part of this, the emotional regulation, the trying to make the problem go away. And in actuality, I just want to shift back to like, like back to the basics of acknowledging what's happening in their body, mm -hmm. what they're feeling, supporting them with tools to calm their nervous system so that we can do that. Yes. And at first for kids, it's frustrating because they're like, no, solve my problem. Like this is, uh, I'm annoyed by this thing. And we go back to, I would love to help you when we're calm and ready. And so I'm going to walk through how to get to that point when you're ready. And there's no rush. You can be in it for as long as you need to. But we're not talking about conflict resolution or problem solving until we're there. Yeah, I love that. I would love to help you when you're calm and ready. I mean, that's such a great phrase. Dear listener, that you can grab right there from Alyssa. I love this. So in this age of zero to five, there's so much, you know, birth, we need, you know, we obviously, we, this is, this is an essential task of that age for us to help be teaching. We have to practice it ourselves, right? It's because we're going to get dysregulated. And then we have to help our kids regulate their nervous systems. We want to, we want to acknowledge and allow all those things. When we think about the, this age of zero to five, um, what are some of the some of the things that one of the things that I think is interesting, like we look at a lot of us traditionally look at behavior, we look at, you know, bad behavior, misbehavior. But, uh, you know, we know that behavior is like an expression of needs, right? That kids are just trying to go about their lives meeting their needs. And yeah, and they're like aggressive and messy and discombobulated and all of that stuff, right? But they're just basically trying to meet their needs. So what are some of the like the important needs that we need to consider that our kids may be having in these important ages of birth to five? Yeah, so first of all, I want to note that we call that stress behavior, misbehavior, et cetera, bad behavior. Um, it for me mm -hmm. means the nervous system is stressed in some capacity. Um, no, no, I think that's so important to think about because people have asked like what what is uh what is a stress response right like what is a fight flight or freeze stress response behavior versus when my child is trying to like deliberately push a boundary and it's a really interesting thing to kind of consider right and and most of the behaviors probably in the zero to five are really just these like that we see as like these bad behaviors are like these stress response fight flight or freeze behaviors mm -hmm. although i can't imagine like the moment right when your toddler like 
but you know, you'll, you'll, you know, in a year, you'll Oh, get it already point. happens. He yeah, stares yeah. me in the face. Stare like, you in the eyes. Yeah, let me totally. see what happens. What will you do? Mm-hmm. Right. Then that's, that's pretty clearly oh, yeah. like, okay, let me just like see, do an experiment on the world and see what happens right here. But totally. Um, so I will yeah. say it's definitely, you're right. More common that we're seeing stress behaviors across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, not even just zero to five, but again, mm-hmm. if it, if we're saying like in order to deliberately do something, you have to be operating from a regulated state, which means you self-control requires a regulated body. You're aware, you're regulated, you're making a conscious choice. That is not very common. Yeah. But when that is coming up, <laughs> because, yeah, we are going to have times where, sure, they're regulated and they're, they, they might be asking for connection, in that sense, where maybe they have nervous system regulation, but then they're saying, I'm feeling disconnected from you, and I want to connect with you. And they never say that. Those no, words no, aren't no, no. coming up. They, they say that Mother, by going and, like, poking like their connect. sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they say that by poking their sister in the face or whatever. Um, dumping out all the things, which is um, currently in our household, everything is dumped. And... Um, so it'll happen in behavior. Sometimes it's connection. And sometimes connection. it is them saying, will you hold that boundary? Which for us means they're saying, are you going to keep me safe? Is it your job to keep me safe? And when we set boundaries and they push them, that's what they're asking, right? Like who actually has the control here? Because if I have the control as a kid, that's truly overwhelming. And I will feel overwhelmed by that, even though I'm going to push to see, do I have it? And it is their job. It's our job to set the boundary. It's their job to push it. And it's their job to push it when we're sick, when we're traveling, when grandma's in town, when so-and-so's, when anything's different, it's their job to say, is this still the rule? Is Mm. this still the boundary? And we... I think so often what we want is obedience or compliance because that's convenient. We want to set a boundary and for kids to follow it. And I got to tell you, I've never in my life set boundaries for kids and had them be like, great, I can't wait to follow it. Like, that's not how it plays out. Yeah, and it doesn't play out that way for adults most of the time either. Like, we don't learn something (laughs) once and we're like, okay, got it, doom, doom, doom. Like, some things we do, but most things we need a lot of repetition for. Just, I think, yeah, or we need to know it's going to be held. Like you think of the speed limit and you know, like how many people are like, okay, this is 30 miles an hour. I will do 30 on the nose. That's what I'm going to do. Or I'm on the highway and it says 65. That's what I'm going to do. 65. If we knew if you go over the speed limit, there's radar, you know, the signs say like radar enforced and we know that's not real. If it was real and we knew like you're going to get a ticket sent to you if you go over that speed limit, people would most likely obey it more frequently. But because it's inconsistently enforced that every once in a while you might drive by a cop and you're like, oh, now here comes the ticket. Because you don't know when it's going to happen, it's worth taking the risk. It's worth seeing, is this the time that I can get away with it? With so many boundaries, when we're seeing inconsistency, it's worth it for children to say, is this the time where I'm going to be able to do this other thing? Where I'm going to be able to get away with this? Or... um, and not in a manipulative sense, but in like a, I'm testing it, I'm learning. It's all trial and error for them to say like, what happens when I do this? Um, it's their first time in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're new here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So th- I love that. I love that explanation. But, but so about to go back and like connection, clearly 
safety, clearly, um, some autonomy, right? Some sense of choice over some things. <laughs> yeah, well, to see, like, it, do I have choice here? Is yeah. Am I in control of this? Yeah. Um, yeah, and when we're doing choice, we do choice theory. So we do two options, both of which, this is the kicker for adults, both of which are fine for them to choose. So yes, if I say, yes. I'm going to set a timer, and in five minutes we're going to leave the house, if you want to put your shoes on by yourself, go ahead and put them on. When the timer beeps, if your shoes aren't on, then I'll put them on you. I'm not, when the timer beeps, angry at them that I'm putting their shoes on. That like That was a fine choice for them to make. They get to make one of these two choices. Both are acceptable. And then when I'm putting their shoes on for them, it doesn't mean it's like a trip to the spa either. They're not like, sure, put my shoes on me. Uh, but I'm not mad at them for choosing this option that I gave them. That's a, that's a beautiful point. Alyssa, we have so much we could talk about. We could talk about this endlessly, but I want to respect your time. What did uh, we have, you know, we talked about, you know, we talked about emotional processing. We talked about development. We talked about needs. Is there anything we miss that you want the listener to uh, to hold on to in this conversation? Yeah, you're right. I could like, I could literally talk about this forever. Yes. Um, and I'm like, yes, we've missed so much. But no, I think like <laughs> largely uh, when we were doing the the night that we got our book deal, my co-author and I were texting and about like, all right, as we're going into writing this manuscript what is that are like at the cornerstone of it and when we were doing our research for the sep method the thing that was my favorite takeaway from it and 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 the data that really like just warmed my heart was that kids didn't stop being kids kids had emotions kids had kids had emotional expressions kids pushed boundaries the adult experience of children is what shifted. The adult experience of a child's emotions or a child's boundary pushing, et cetera, is what shifted. And so what I, and again, like back to the manuscript, that's what it came back to is that what we want our impact to be around is the adult experience of children and their emotions and how they move through the world to shift away from things like they're being manipulative or they're intentionally doing these things to drive me bonkers into they want to feel connected and loved and worthy and seen and they're using all the tools in their toolbox at this moment to do so. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just takes the, takes the, it's not personal. It's not, it's no one's not. trying, no child is trying to get you. They're having a stress response. They're using mm-hmm. their tools. They're just really undeveloped, wacky beings. <laughs> they're learning how to connect. They're learning. Right? They're like, learning. Yeah. It's, they're all, they're learning. And we're learning with them. Yes. Yes. Well, thank yeah. you so much. It has been such a pleasure and a joy to talk to you. Uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing? Totally. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. I could get nerdy with you forever. This is so fun for me. Um, <laughs> folks can check us out at Seed and Sew. So seedandsew.org, seed and S-E-W, um, dot org, or over on Instagram, seed.and.sew, S-E-W. Uh, yeah, those are the two main hubs. 
Yeah, uh, Alyssa's Instagram handle is full of good nutriments to take in. If you got, if you want to be on social media, it's a great one to follow to take in some some good inspiring stuff. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Thanks. This has been really a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad that your you, your little village had you carrying babies at five years old so you could <laughs> end up sharing this all with us. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. This was so valuable, right? I I mean, I got so much out of talking to Alyssa. I know you will too. And listen, if you love this episode, please do me a favor, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me there at mindfulmamamentor. You may as well follow me there and fill your feed with some mindful parenting inspiration. So I hope you loved this episode. I can't wait to be back again next week. I love doing the mindful mama podcast i hope you love it too if you want to support it please please leave a rating and review share it around we've grown to over 2 million downloads because of you and i just want to tell you how much i appreciate that this is such an incredible community of people just working on that transformation to be part of the healing it's awesome and rock on for you for being here thank you so much for being here i'm so glad i get to connect with you And I wish you a great week. I'm doing some crazy stuff. I'm going to be traveling to Abu Dhabi. I'm going to be at Parenthood, the Unconference. I've never been on a plane ride that long in my life. So wish me luck and (laughs) I'll let you know how it goes. I hope you have a great week and plenty of sleep and lots of moments of peace and calm and appreciation for this crazy, incredible life. So thank you so much for listening. Namaste. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.